Well, why don't we get started, guys? Um, it's good to bask in these truths, revisit these things, even as I was preparing uh, last night and before that, was just refreshed and in these in these truths and just thinking more about parenting. Um, for those who don't know uh, me, we have four children. They're all adults now, 20 to 27. They all click up in age this summer. Um, so we're kind of past the age of young children. And actually, honestly, I had forgotten some of the, the different things that we had done when we were younger. The, the principles, I think, are the same throughout. And, the, and it's great that we're focusing on the principles. That's what we most need. But I kind of forgot like, what, what it was like to have little ones. And so this got me thinking about different things. And I trust that that exercise is going to help you. Um, what I want to talk about is the idea of the law and gospel and how it relates to parenting. And I'm going to define law and gospel. That those, I mean, those words are probably not strange to you, but the idea of how they apply to parenting and why you're putting them together, that might be a new idea. So I'll define that as we go through. Um, and the reason I'm doing this is because I believe Scripture does it. And I believe it's a key for parenting is to really understand how law and gospel interact um, and how, how that influences how we parent. Um, and so I'll tell you up front what I'm going to get at in all this is that parenting must use the law and the gospel like God does. Parenting uh, must use the law and the gospel like God does. And so we're going to take a little bit of a journey through Scripture in this. Um, but I, I can tell you up front that I, I think the scripture teaches this. I think it teaches to, this to parents specifically. We can look at different places, uh, just the whole Bible and what, what it calls parents to do. Um, Deuteronomy 6, one of the earlier passages about uh, parenting and where it talks about teaching these things to your children as you walk along the way. Teaching what things? Well, the things that, that God's been revealing through Moses to his people. The things about God's deliverance from Egypt how he saved them from the dangers of Egypt, the oppression of Egypt, how, they, how he came and he brought judgment on the Egyptians, but, but grace and forgiveness and freedom, really, for the Jews, for the people of Israel. And then in that context of his gracious deliverance from Egypt, he called them to be his covenant people, to be a special people, to be different, to be like him. That's the law. Um, and so Deuteronomy 6, telling us to instruct our children, what do we instruct our children in? These things, the law and the gospel. And so understanding what these things mean and how they interact, I think, has a huge influence on how we parent. And I would say, uh, as a parent, after, after 26, 27, almost 28 years as a parent, uh, and then as a pastor, pastoring parents and children, I think this uh, is the biggest area of struggle and maybe the biggest area of, of just even practical failure that we experience. So what I hope to do in this is just lay out some of these truths. And they're very connected to what you've heard previously, by the way. Um, this isn't anything different. It really goes together with what you've heard so far. But I want to lay these truths out. And then I want to talk a little bit about the practicals. I don't have enough time to do all that. And this seminar is not intended to give you every sort of practical you could do because uh, the Bible doesn't do that either, right? The Bible gives us the truth and says, now walk in this truth in the power of the Holy Spirit and community with God's people. And that's kind of how practicals happen. So that's what, we, that's what we'll do. But I will touch on some practicals. Uh, so we see this principle. We see it in Deuteronomy 6. We see it tomorrow. I'm speaking actually just coincidentally, but not coincidentally, on uh, Ephesians 6.4 as we're going through our Ephesians series. And Ephesians 6.4 is written to parents, specifically tuned towards dads, but 
very applicable to moms, of course. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So don't provoke them to anger. Uh, don't, don't use your authority to tempt them to be angry. And then actually the parallel verse in Colossians says that they might not be discouraged. So the other side of anger is discouragement, right? Because we tend to react in anger, rebellion, or we, we just we give up, we, we despair. So that, those are the reactions that come from poor parenting. Um, so don't do that. But instead, bring them up in what? The discipline and instruction of the Lord. Both those words carry this idea of gospel and law going together. Uh, the discipline uh, of the Lord is really the lifestyle of living in Christ, living in the gospel, and what that looks like. And the instruction is, uh, some, some versions say admonishment. It's basically bringing the truth, the, the, not just the truth, like the information, but the impact of the truth on our children's lives. So it's really saying there, guys, don't provoke them to anger. Don't do these other things. Um, don't, don't be a Pharisee in your parenting, like Toby was talking about. Uh, don't neglect your roles as Jeff was talking about. Instead, bring up your children in, in the lifestyle and in the heart, the tr- heart truths of the gospel. Um, so there's another verse, and we could go through a, a lot of scriptures to prove that point. But let me just take you, uh, define some things, and then take you in a little journey through scripture to see how these ideas of law and gospel interplay. First, let me define law. Um, law in, is simply the commands of God, the things we're called to do, um, the things, the, the ways of living, the ways of obedience, both in our actions and in our attitudes, right? Because we know Christ comes, the Sermon on the Mount, he deepens our understanding of the law, and, and in that, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you realize, wow, this is way deeper than I thought. Before, I was told not to murder. Hey, got that down, I haven't murdered anybody. Jesus says, if you're angry in your heart, you're murdered. And so you realize in the teaching, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that the law goes a lot deeper than we might think it does. And so anywhere where there's a command, anywhere where it says live this way, do this thing, um, that's law. That's the general category of law. And the law is not something just for the Old Testament. Sometimes we might think, oh, it, you know, that was the Sinai, right? The Ten Commandments, and that's scary stuff. We're not under that anymore. Well, there are actually more commands in the New Testament than there are in the Old Testament. There are uh, over a thousand commands in the New Testament and only about 600 in the Old Testament. So there's, there's way more. There's 800 different types of commands in the New Testament. So a thousand, over a thousand total commands, 800 different. So it hasn't changed. Um, this idea of law, this idea of God calling us to live a certain way and be a certain type of people, to, to be and do certain things. So that's generally what we mean when we say law. Um, so it's a broad category. It doesn't mean just the law, the Ten Commandments, any sort of command of God. So that's what I mean when I say law, and that's what... The Bible, and that's what theologians mean when they say it. Gospel, uh, literally, uh, gospel is good news. And good news in Scripture is news that's given to us that's good, that is grace-based. So it's it, we're told something, we're told a blessing, we're told about something that we receive freely. So it's not so much do this and you get this, or do, you're just supposed to do this. Not all the laws do this and get this, but it's connected. Uh, but the gospel is, here's good news taken care of for you, you just need to receive it. So generally, that, that's what it's mean when we say gospel and law. Now, these categories are more like conceptual, theological, all right? Not technical, not thoroughly like everywhere in the Bible, the gospel is only about the good news. There are things that come with the gospel that are commands, so I don't mean to say that that's not true. The gospel, right, um, 
when you believe in the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins, we, we receive the good news, we turn from our sin, and we believe it and we receive it. But in, in being united to Christ, what happens to us? We die to ourselves and sin. So there's things that happen in our union with Christ that have an impact. It's not just simply receiving. It's being, it's being uh, in aspects and truths of the gospel, transformed. And so, so I don't mean to tease out every aspect. It's just a helpful category, though, to say law and gospel. Sometimes uh, if those words trip you up, just think in terms of, of commands and grace. That's kind of another way to see it. Um, and that might be a better way. The reason I use these words are not because um, my choice. Historically, this is how the church has spoken of these categories. But sometimes it's better just to think in terms of commands and grace. So things that we're called to do and just how we're blessed without earning anything. Thank God for grace and thank God for his law. So this, these two things, law and gospel, go th- on throughout Scripture. And these are God's ways of dealing with us as his people. And the whole storyline of the, of the Bible is really this cycle of God revealing himself through gr- uh, grace, the gospel, gospel-type things, and God revealing himself through law. And there's this interchange that goes on all through Scripture. Uh, and, we're n- and we're never to relate to him apart from either. They go together. So uh, where I'm going with this is, Parents, that's how we relate to our children. So that's, that's the application in all this. Um, so examples in Scripture, certainly the commands we see everywhere, uh, Old Testament, New Testament. The gospel, this idea of grace, of God giving us something where we don't deserve it, starts in the very beginning, actually. Uh, God creates mankind, makes them, uh, creates them male and female. He puts them in a garden, and they're blessed. They're given all these things. They're given food to enjoy. They're given a place to live. They're given God's presence. They're given grace. He pours grace on them. And then he says to Adam and through Adam to Eve as well, you have all this stuff, enjoy it, but there's only one thing I want you to do. Don't eat this tree. Don't eat the fruit of this tree. Um, yeah, you're not, a, you're not a beaver. Um, don't eat the fruit of this tree. He said that to the beavers maybe. Don't eat, eat the, yeah, he probably had to tell the beavers not to eat the tree, but the man didn't, the fruit. So, um, so that's all. The law is don't do this, right? I'm, I'm your God. I want you to follow me. Don't eat of the fruit of this tree. The grace is all these trees and all this blessing. Enjoy and live in it. Um, and we know what happens, that um, mankind under the influence of the evil one chooses, Adam chooses to eat that. Uh, Eve is the initiator, a picture of Adam failing in his role, uh, Jeff talked about. But they eat it and they fall from God. But just the whole point is, grace is first, and then the law. And that's generally God's pattern. We see as he, uh, God re-engages mankind, and he never disengages, but as he pursues mankind, he pursues Abraham. And he tells Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations. And then Abraham, it says in, in chapter 15, Genesis 15, 6, says this, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham didn't do anything. He hadn't done anything. He hadn't, he hadn't, like, he hadn't sacrificed Isaac. He hadn't done those other things. He believed the Lord. He just received the promise. Wow, you love me, and you want to do this thing. I believe you. And God counted to him as righteousness. So God considered Abraham righteous, not because he had been a perfect man, or even a good man, because he had trusted God. And in God, he was justified. So um, very early on, we see that idea. This is gospel, the idea of gospel. It's a grace gift. It's a gift to Abraham. He hasn't earned it. Um, you follow the storyline in the scripture. You see that the deliverance from Egypt, as I said, that's 
grace first. God delivers them from Egypt. They're, why does he do it? Why does he deliver them from Egypt? Does he deliver them from Egypt because they're just amazing people? These are the best people on the earth here. They're better than anybody else. They've been really good. And the Egyptians, ah, I just, I don't like them. And, and um, no, they're his covenant people. He chose to be gracious to them. Um, he called them to himself and continued to be faithful to, to them. And so he graciously delivers them from the, the horrors of slavery in Egypt. And that's how he starts in Exodus 20. That's where the Ten Commandments are. The first time we see the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. Before he says, do this and do that, or don't do this and don't do that, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And even before that, he talks about his deliverance of them. And then he says, you'll have no gods before me. So it's again, grace first, just like in Genesis 3. Grace first, and then, then law. We see grace in the Gospel all through scripture. In Isaiah 53, right, we're told, we start to get a picture. Isaiah starts to tell God's people about the wonderful promise, the ultimate expression of grace. Speaking of Christ, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wonderful promise of grace that God would have this servant that would be raised up to rescue strange sheep like us, to put our sins on him. That's gospel. That's grace. And certainly in the New Testament, we see gospel and grace in the person of Christ himself. Um, he is living grace. He comes as the righteous one. He fulfills the law that we were supposed to, we failed in. He fulfills it. He has the, the, the best life possible. Um, and yet he offers up that righteous life on the cross to pay for our sins. So that in him, through faith in him, all of our sins are paid for. And God's righteous requirements in the law are satisfied by his life, by our union with him. So God, the gospel is Christ himself. He's the fulfillment of this. Yet it says, though, it, it's wonderful with Christ. Not only is there forgiveness, but there's uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20. Oh, I forgot I had overheads. Did we talk about all those? Psalm 32, another great verse on gospel. There we go. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Uh, we have here, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So in Christ, all the promises, all God's gracious promises, all the things he said are yes in Christ. He's the one who fulfills them and earns the right to fulfill them all. And we're connected to him simply through faith. We say, I can't do it, only you can. And I want to trust you. I want to follow you. We're united with him through faith. It's a gift. And all the promises now for us are yes. Um, it's amazing. Unearned. That's, that's grace. That's the gospel. That's the wonder of the gospel. So those are just illustrations from scripture of this whole idea. And it's a consistent theme. Um, you, can, you can see the interplay between the two throughout scripture. Um, one place to look at it is just to take a little journey through the book of Romans. And you see that how these things, law and gospel, uh, interact with each other. So early on, Romans chapter 3. Paul is actually, the, the flow of the argument there is he's trying to help people understand that, that we're all a mess. No matter who you are, you're a mess. We're a mess. Um, whether we're people who, at the time, you know, had grown up as Gentiles outside of the law, outside of the revelation of God, outside of the revelation through Scripture and so forth, we're a mess. Or even if we've grown up at the time under the law and knew the law, we're still a mess. We still need rescuing. So the law doesn't rescue us. The law doesn't rescue us from our situation. 
So he says in Romans 3, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So no human being will be justified through the law, whether it's the Sinai law or the law in the garden or any other law, we all fall short, we all fail. And so we can't be justified before God. We can't be counted as good people by following the law because none of us will do it. We'll all fail, we all do fail. We are um, in our broken humanity. That's, that's who we are. And so the law, how does it function then? As the way to God? No, because none of us will make it that way. We fail. What it does is it points out our failure. We recognize sin. So it says here, through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's what the law does. That's an important function for us. An important function for our children is how the law brings knowledge of sin. It shows sin to be what it is. It shows sin to be sinful. Uh, and that's its function in our life. That's what we see in Romans. The, the storyline in Romans continues uh, shortly, the next verse actually. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, so are counted righteous, are counted good, are counted acceptable um, by, before God, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it's a gift. It's grace. It's gospel. So we see here the interplay between law. Law shows sin. And now there's rescue. Not through the law. Though the law talks about the law of the Old Testament law. Uh, but through Christ. Who, who his life is offered up for us. And we're redeemed. We're rescued by him. But that's not the end of the law. And there are some who would teach that. The law leads you to your need for Christ. And then boop. No more law. Um, no, we go back. And if you follow the storyline in Romans, in chapter 8, it speaks about this new life. Now when you believe in Christ, you're united to Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It's amazing. And the promise of Jeremiah 31, that the law would be written on our hearts, happens. So now the law, God's righteous ways, his, what he loves and what he wants us to enjoy is now written on our hearts. That's wonderful good news. It's on our hearts. There's a desire in the believer. Even though it's weak and we fail often, there is this desire to walk in his law, to obey him, to love him, to love one another. Um, and so Romans 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This is the old man before you know Christ. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the old man is hostile to the law, but now the man with the Spirit, the man or woman with the Spirit, can obey the law, can begin to obey the law with a true heart. Now it's a struggle, it's imperfect, but there's a difference there. There's, the law is on our hearts now. So Paul will say later, he's unafraid to go back to the law and speak about the life of the Christian. Romans 13 as this is a section in Romans. He's talking about how to live now as a Christian. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So we see Paul saying, now obey the law. Now in this new life you have, obey the law. Walk out these things. You're not under the law like a Jew under the Sinai, under the Mosaic Covenant was, but you are under the law because you belong to the Lord, and this is what he's like, and and the Spirit of God has written the law in our hearts, and the law shows us what God's like, what his ways are like. So the New Testament is full of commands. It's unafraid to talk about what, what we ought to do, what we must do. Um, and you can see this pattern throughout Scripture. So the whole storyline of Scripture is full of this. I, I was at a uh, pastor's training for preaching, and we were in Exodus, and basically discovering in Exodus God's dealing with his people Mount, at Mount Sinai and so forth is this whole thing, the cycle of law, gospel, law, gospel, law, gospel. Um, does that make sense? Is it, any questions on that, on that idea? Anything that's just like parts of it that like, I don't know about this aspect. I'm having trouble sewing that together anything so is that is the, are these ideas i mean even like the law gospel cycle going back and forth is that new for anybody any of these terms new we're a small group too so i mean i won't i won't say what your name is on the recording so feel free to ask questions but it makes sense you guys good with that okay good i really do believe that go ahead Heidi. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. So somebody in the audience said that it's the practice that's hard for the recording. I won't name the person because we all have the same struggle. Um, yeah, it is. It's the practice. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's the practice. And I think this is something um, that we all struggle with in our own lives. And and so um, I'm really glad the teaching you guys are receiving, we're not setting up this standard for pr- the perfect parent or the perfect Christian, um, but we are setting up principles and truths that will lead us in these ways. Um, so, yeah, that, the rub is the practice, walking it out and living it out. But I would say that the Christian life is built around this. And, and what I you know, would want to do in my own life, what I do as a pastor in proclaiming these truths and pastoral counseling is really just this stuff. Everything that's going on in life is just a really a matter of the law gospel cycle. And, um, and so I try to follow this pattern um, in what I do. Uh, it's really, I, I believe it's scripture's pattern, it's God's pattern. Um, so bringing the gospel, bringing grace, bringing the law, bringing the gospel, bringing the law. And that's, that's kind of how we live as believers. Um, yeah. Any other th- thoughts, comments, questions? Good. Uh, so this, is, I think, it's a truth for everything, every aspect of the Christian life, but it's, it has application for parenting. I really do think that parenting is walking this out, leading our kids in this, and doing it in age-appropriate ways. Um, and, uh, and not just age-appropriate, but situation-appropriate ways and so forth. Um, parenting, there's no formula for parenting. There are principles. There's no formula. I, I can't give you a handbook that says, you know, like, oh, okay, we got, you know, uh, failed math class, and, you know, what, what do I do with that one, you know, and, or, you know, uh, 
pulled his sister's hair or whatever. What do I do with that one? You know, we, we don't, it doesn't, I can't give you that formula, but I can give you these principles and we can start to talk about how to tease them out and give examples and, and learn together through that. Um, but I would just say in, in your parenting, this is what you want to do. You want to, you want to bring the gospel. You want to bring grace first. So, so your relationship with your child, they should know more than anything that you yourself are grateful for grace. You love the grace of God. You live by his grace. You're aware of his grace. When you look around at his creation, um, you see his blessings. Um, so learning to live that way and, and communicate to our children our gratitude for all the things around us and our gratitude for them. We should be able to see the grace of God in their lives. When we get grace, right, when we get the things Toby was talking about, we realize the worst sinner in the room is me, and yet he forgives me. I'm, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted. That reorients us in life where we should just be full of gratitude. We should tend to be aware of grace at work. Um, so in our children, they should, they should experience that as we're growing in that, um, just how our outlook our, and how we relate to them. We don't relate to them about what's wrong with them first. We relate to them on what's, what we see in them, the gifts we have, the things we identify in them, the things we see around them, the blessing that they are. So grace, we start with grace. We start with the gospel. And more than anything, that should be what they're aware of because um, that's where we start. But that doesn't mean we only do that. It doesn't mean we only talk about the good things. I mean, that should be the predominant. Um, I've talked about this before, the 90% rule. I think it's a good rule of thumb. I mean, not that you have to keep tabs, but... 90% of your interaction should be about grace and what you're grateful for, what you're excited about. and Not necessarily them, you know, but them and things around you. Um, and I think that's a good rule of thumb. But it doesn't mean that it's 100%. There is 10% of addressing things. We do need to address things. We do need to bring the law. We do need to call them in light of this grace, in light of what God's done for us in Christ and just in creation we are called to respond to him. We're called to walk in his ways. So bring in the law, bring in the truth, uh, bring in the truth of God's word and, and understanding that it's not just about behavior. It's not just about cleaning up the room to look like the picture on the door, which I think is a great idea, sort of thing I would, probably would have done. Um, it's not just about that. It's about wanting to clean your room up for mom and dad because you love them. Um, so it's a heart issue. The Lord is interested not just in simple behavior, but in heart behavior. So the law of God is to come to their actions and their hearts. So we want to help them understand that. Now it's age appropriate, right? Your, your two-year-old's not going to be able to discern their heart a whole lot. So don't try um, at that point. Um, but as they get older and they can start to understand and hear that, you start to communicate those things. And then when you, I would say when they get to young adulthood and your teens, your teens are young adults. They're just in our house young adults, and then they, well, hopefully they move out of the house at some point, young adults, the, that doesn't happen all the time, uh, we have a house full right now, uh, so, but what you start to do as they, as they grow older, um, you're still talking practicals and behavior, but you're, I think your weight as a parent now is to, to go to heart stuff, and let them work out the details, so as they get older, you do more heart, when they're younger, it's more behavior. As they get mature, it's more heart. So you have heart-to-hearts as they get, become young adults. You help them talk through the practicals, but you're not saying, you know, look, you need to do this, 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 and this. That's just going to – there may be wisdom to give them, but if that's what they're getting, um, you're not allowing them to be adults and make their own decisions and work out the principles. So, uh, so we're bringing the law in those ways to them. And then we uh, – in that bringing of the law, 
it's going to reveal things. We're going to create standards, and they're going to, there's going to be failure. And you have to discern as a parent, again, age-appropriate-wise, what failures to address. And I think that changes according to age. So you want to act to discipline, essentially, to address the failures and to walk them through that, to walk them through the response uh, in light of the law and in light of the gospel. Um, so there are age-appropriate ways to discipline. Little children are going to be different than uh, teens in your home. But we must discipline. Disciplining your child is loving them. It teaches them lessons. Lack of discipline in Scripture is neglect. It's not loving your child. God himself disciplines us. It's a fundamental characteristic of being a parent that you discipline your children. You love them. Uh, Hebrews 12 it says, God, uh, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later on yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. So discipline's a good thing. Discipline is how we love our children. And there are different ways to do discipline. Um, and it, it functions differently. Um, I probably don't have time to do this, but one area that I think, uh, there's an age-appropriate form of discipline that I think is falling out of favor. And so I wanted to spend a, just a little bit of time on kind of a parentheses on this to reinforce it. And, it, and you may have questions or disagree with me. I'd love to talk to you about this. But an element, particularly when they're young, and I'd say, you know, two years to six years is maybe where this is happening. It should decrease, I think, somewhat after six. But the, the use of the rod, um, it's fallen out of favor. And even saying it, I risk uh, people being shocked. But I, I do think Scripture really teaches the appropriate use of the rod. Um, and literally in Scripture, it is a rod. Um, it's, it's an instrument, uh, a proper instrument to bring limited Physical displeasure, <laughs> pain, that's the point. Um, and and in, uh, there's a lot of verses in Proverbs on the rod. Um, and, and I just, I think it's a, for me, uh, it, I, I'm concerned that we fully utilize what Scripture calls us to um, because Scripture tells us and we believe that Scripture is God's word and it's wise. Now, we have to be careful in this, right? Because we could, we could just be dogmatic about it. Oh, the rod, and we just abuse the use of the rod. But, um, and we don't want to do that. But the other side of it is to say, well, culture doesn't do it. Matter of fact, you know, people, it looks like they're going to make laws against this stuff at some point. So let's not do this. Well, let Scripture lead us in this. And let's wrestle through with what that looks like. So let me just give you some thoughts on this. Uh, you could, maybe we could ask, you could ask questions on this part. Um, but I just wanted to hit on it. Um, no pun intended. Um, it's, uh, it's not the central point of parenting, so don't hear me in this, all right? It's an element, and it has its right place, and that's that having wisdom to know its right place is the key. Perhaps some of the disfavor around the rod is because in the past, it was used for everything. Um, kids were, you know, spanked or beaten to the point where there was injury uh, for trivial things. I don't think that's what Scripture calls us to. I'll tell you up front, the, the heart, I think, of the use of the rod is to get at defiance, to get at... Uh, Seated defiance. That's what it's for. It's not for, you know, they didn't clean the room up, so they get smacked. Um, it's to get at the heart and the, those areas. So let me just give you some scriptures on it, and we'll go from there. Um, all, those. all right, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. 
guess I skipped all those other verses. Okay, I'll read them from here. Uh, Proverbs 13, 24, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 19, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your hope on putting him to death. Proverbs 22, 15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. 23, 13 to 14, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So the rod throughout Proverbs, and really I'd say it's granted in Scripture. Uh, Ephesians 6, in talking about parenting, I think assumes it. It doesn't name it, but I think it assumes it. it was, it's been a granted for so long that it doesn't have to appear in every verse on parenting. And yet, now in our culture, it's no longer granted. And, and I would say that that's not going to serve your children. So the rod, the, the, an instrument of bringing limited uh, appropriate physical discomfort to your child. So you have to think through what that means. I, I would encourage you not to spank your child with your hand um, because then your hand becomes an instrument of discipline in a way that maybe you don't want your hand to do that. Like uh, they might be afraid of your hand. Um, so there's wisdom in using the rod. Um, we used, just practically to help you with this, we used something that was lightweight and yet could sting. And we, I would test it on myself just to make sure it was going to bring some pain, but not bring any injury. Um, so we used bamboo is what we used. Um, and it was for the sort of things, and not that we did it perfectly, but for the things like defiance. So to teach the idea that when mom and dad say this, you can't continue to get away with the disobedience and defiance. So there needs to be a way that you work out, you think through when the rod kicks in. It doesn't mean every time you do. You might say, you might give three strikes and then the rod comes. But there needs to be, at the end of it all, they need to have an experience of the reality of the authority that you carry. And that's kind of the goal behind it, too. Um, it's really interesting, the first commandment and the ten commandments that have, has to do with relating to people is the call to honor your father and mother. Um, and so our diligence as parents in teaching our children to honor us and using the rod when, when there's defiance is really important in helping them realize that, that, that that response to our authority really influences everything else. So if they don't learn to, re, to respond to us and submit to our authority, they're going to struggle with submitting to God's authority. But there are lessons, deep heart lessons, that come through those encounters. And, and if your kids are anything like I was growing up, they're going to test. Some kids are, are amazing. They don't, I don't know. Maybe they don't do this. But I know I, I tested. I was always pushing the limits, and I needed those sort of things. I wish in some ways my parents had done more of that. Uh, so it's going to help them understand authority. It's going to help them submit. And there's a way to do it um, as well. Never do it in anger. Count to ten, walk away, wait, wait an hour. Um, understand, talk together as, you know, as a couple or just get counsel from others. If you're a single parent, talk about it and have a plan when you do this and when you don't. So know ahead of time. So you're not just impulsively saying, we're going to do it now. Um, and I would say use it for those moments where there's defiance, where there's rebellion against authority, where you've made things clear and they've said no. Um, and again, age appropriate, I think if we're doing it, they will get the lessons and those things will be established. And as they get into the older child ages, beyond six, it should be less frequent. Um, I always told my kids we always reserve the right to if we need to. Um, but but it, it, shouldn't, it should be less frequent. And I'd say... If your kid is like a preteen and stuff and you're finding you need to use a rod, you probably need to strengthen the other aspects of parenting. I'd say uh, an, 
again, I always had it as a last resort, but, but uh, I think there are other things we're called to. We're called to kind of transition to a more adult-like interaction as they get older. Um, in that, so let me just talk about this too. In the use of the rod, you want to do the same thing of grace and law, grace and law too. So if you, if you have to use the rod, um, you, you apply it. I mean, I would be like three swats most of the time, the kids were sorry, even before the three swats, because they got used to what the three swats were. Um, and they were sorry. And so I led them through. We would lead them through saying they're sorry. We would grant them forgiveness. We would tell them how wonderful it is we're forgiven. God forgives us. And isn't it good that God doesn't let us get away with things? And then we would talk through what it looks like now to go back to the law in grace, asking Christ. Like talking about weakness, I, you know, share I struggle with this too. There's times when God has to do something in my life to get my attention. I need his help to obey. So let's pray and ask God for help and let's talk about what it looks like. So, you know, whatever the particular thing might have been, maybe, you know, they have been biting, right? Younger child biting um, and, you know, you told them you can't bite and so forth and they, and they did it again. So now what does it look like? How can I help you? Um, what does it look like not to bite your brother when you're angry at him? And there may be all sorts of practical things you can do with that, so I'm not saying don't do that. But, but lead them through that whole idea of, of gospel law as well in, in the use of the rod. So again, that's not the center of parenting, but it's an element. I feel like I just had to address it because, uh, and I wish there were more people here, because as I interact with younger parents these days, um, it seems to be kind of like, we don't need to do that. And why is it in scripture? Why is it assumed? Why is it throughout Proverbs? I think because we do need it, and we need to use it wisely and well. Um, if we're going to help our children. Um, some kids are going to need it more than others. It depends on your kid. If you have one like I was, you're probably going to need to lose, use it a lot. Um, but there are others who are better. Any questions on that? Just the rod discussion. Does that Have you ever heard anyone teach about the use of the rod before? Okay. Some, not, not others. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. I think if, you, yeah, I would say, as I think through it, uh, if you set the standard, hold to it. So, oh, sorry, repeat the question. What if they say they're sorry before uh, you minister? administer discipline with the rod should you change your course and and by the way yeah uh, it's amazing being a parent watching our kids how, they're geniuses when it comes to deception and stuff um, it's it's just amazing I mean and we are too but it's like when our kids were little I realized we didn't do anything to teach them this they could lie really well you know it's just amazing how smart they are and how good they are at lying um, and I'm not saying your kids are lying all the time but I think with that sort of stuff you know you just way to handle it. Maybe they are genuinely sorry, and that's great. We should celebrate that. Um, but I still would say, this is how we handle this. This went on, and, you know, so we're still, you know, Dad's still going to do the spanking. I'm so glad you're sorry, and we're going to pray afterwards. And I'm, and I'm so excited to see how you'll do better as you trust God for this. So, you know, be, don't say, I doubt, you're lying. I doubt you're telling me the truth. You're just trying to get out of this. Just be consistent, you know. This is the standard, and, uh, and so we're going to do this. Celebrate the good. 
and then you know, and then go from there. So that's how I would handle that. So just that's why it's important to talk ahead of time as as a parent uh, to really have you know when you're going to do it, when you're not. Not to say you're going to figure out everything ahead of time, but if you have a general idea, then you'll know better when you encounter those things. And you know, and and yeah, that whole I'm sorry right away. We Peg and I still joke when when. <laughs> There's some offense we might have, even if it's a trivial one. We say, "I sorry, I sorry," right away, because there was a young, there's a young family in our church where the the girl, as soon as she knew she had done something wrong or was caught, she'd start saying, "I sorry, I sorry, I sorry," like right away, <laughs> trying to get out of trouble, basically for it. So, so yeah, that can happen. Does that help, Toby? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Every child's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, you want to reevaluate too as you go. Don't, re, don't evaluate in the middle of it, um, but afterwards maybe, you know. Or if, if you haven't had a chance to talk through it and the situation comes and you have the ability to talk with, you know, someone else about it, that's fine too. So I'm not saying you just stick to your plan no matter what, but, but I wouldn't change that aspect probably without thinking through it. Use the rod, period. Yeah. Yeah. I would want to ask them why. Yeah, so, sorry, I keep on forgetting. The question is, um, how would you respond to someone in the church who thinks it's wrong to spank your child? Um, so I would want to ask them about it, what, they, what their perception is. Because for them, maybe their perception is beating. Like, I, it's interesting. I, I hear people use the word beat. It's like, to me, a totally different thing. That's illegal. By the way, if we're aware of children being physically abused, we are to deal with it as a church. We will deal with it. So um, so there's a, there's a point where it goes beyond appropriate, measured, physical you know, punishment into abuse. So maybe for them, that's what they've known. You know? um, I grew up, you know, our, my generation, so baby boomer, late baby boomer generation, um, not many kids had measured physical punishment, you know. Um, you know, it was common to be, like, whacked. I, thank God I never had any, you know, I was never hit in the face or anything like that, but I got good hard kicks in the rear end. And, I, you know, I deserved them. I wasn't hurt, but, you know, I think they're out of bounds. So for them, the person asking the question, maybe that's been their experience. I would want to ask them what, what they think about it, you know, what do they, what, what they mean by that. So just to kind of draw them out and hear and then, you know, try to draw some lines maybe in that. If they see that there's a difference between the use, appropriate use of the rod and what, what they're talking about, you know, that'll make it easier. I think it does ultimately come down to, like, what does the Bible say? The Bible makes room for this. So we, I think that's clear. So we have to deal with that. So how do we deal with it? And I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm giving you, by the way, princi- I'm giving you some principles and some practices with the rod. So I'm not saying, you know, go get, use bamboo and do it exactly how I would do it. That's an application of the principle. The principle is the appropriate use of the rod. That's, that's in scripture. That's clear. So I would want to stand on that and then ask them, how would you deal with that? How do you interact with that? Hopefully you help them in the process to see that they need to interact with it rather than ignore it. You know, is that, is that it is, I think it is an authority of scripture issue, but, but we should be careful not to assume our practice of it is the biblical, best biblical way to apply it. Any other questions on that? 
Yeah, so what would I say to someone who said they did other things for discipline? Um, and exclude, and, you're, and I'm assuming you mean they excluded any sort of rod. Yeah, I would say, wow, if that works, and great. I mean, the point isn't to use the rod, right? The point is to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, and so we need to understand the rod has its function, though. Um, there may be exceptions to that, so I would say, wow. But I would, I would be a little suspicious of the exceptions because I know most kids, you know, are going to have one point or another where they're going to need it. So I would want to have a conversation with them. I want to hear about the other methods. And by the way, I'm not excluding other methods. There's lots of methods. I'm going to talk about a little bit of that as we talk about age-appropriate responses. I think as your child gets older, they need to experience more adult sort of discipline. And God doesn't discipline us by literally spanking us, though that, that could happen, I guess, depending on your judicial system. Um, but it's through you know, other means that God brings discipline. And so as our children get older, they need to th- experience more of that. So we can tap into that. Time out can be that. I think our culture can abuse time out, though, because time out doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense to a little one in some ways. some ways it does. It can be confusing. Uh, I think, you know, for the defiance, um, the rod is quicker and clearer for a younger one than time out. And it establishes authority. Um, you know, and I just see it, it lessens the loopholes. You know, again, I... I don't know if you guys think of this, but I always think of these different methods, and I put myself in the shoes of the kid, and my mind, you know, is like how I would get around that thing, you know. Um, and I know how I did as a kid. Alternative methods were easier to deal with usually for me, um, you know. And I was maybe a little feistier of a kid. I wasn't that bad, but um, so I think it, the point is: are we bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? And are, we, are we being honest with Scripture in this, or are we running from Scripture? So I, I would just want to help them think through that, but I wouldn't come to them and say, automatically, if you're not doing this, you're, you're disobeying Scripture. But I would have questions. So. Is that? Oh. Other questions or comments? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the question is, what do you do when you're out in public? Which is probably every parent who's committed to using some sort of discipline is faced, right? Um, and I think it, it takes discernment. Certainly, yeah, you have to be careful in public because the culture is the way it is, right? Even if you're doing a very measured little contact, I mean, they, you can get in trouble. So you just have to be wise with that. That's one factor. The other factor is, I think depending on, on the situation and the kid and so forth, um, takes different responses. You might overlook it, um, depending on the kid. Other kids, you don't want to overlook it because they're going to figure it out that's when they can get away with stuff. Um, so you need to do something. Um, and, it, and I would say find a place where you can administer some sort of discipline. Um, I, I'd say don't, I don't think it serves younger kids to say, wait till you get home. And then the next two hours is, you know, miserable for them. Um, and, I, and I think it just, the guilt lingers, and they don't understand. I think it actually counters the gospel, because the gospel, every moment, like, think about it. The moment we realize we've sinned, we turned, we remember grace, right? At that moment, we can, I'm forgiven, and be free, and be free of the guilt. So, similarly, I think with our kids, we don't want them to linger in guilt. We want to help them understand, and, and the process can help them work through that. So, I wouldn't want to let it hang 
if, if at all possible. So I would um, try to find a spot. You know, I mean, if you have to go home, if you can go home, um, or if you're seeing a pattern of it, bring the rod with you and then go find a private place where it's safe and, and, and do that. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's hard. I've had, I mean, you know, not to say this is not to say this is the right way to do it, but you know, when we were with the little ones, there were sometimes like that for us, and and I did a short, quick, representative spanking with my hand, usually just on their hand or something like that, just enough. So it's not the same as normal, but it's enough to know like you can't, we're not gonna let you get away with it. So there might be, you know, adjustments like that. That's okay. I just say don't make it a pattern. And if you, if you can bring a little rod with you, that's, that's great. Um, but also, yeah, recognize the long-term consistency is more, more important than the short-term in some ways. Um, so being consistent over the long-term, you, you may have to let it go for one time. Um, but that takes wisdom to know, though. Again, if they're, if they're knowing how to get away with things, I would, I would deal with it. So that's a great question, though. I hope that helps. Any other questions or comments, guys? Um, Toby, how much time do we have? We, did we start at 1.15? Wow. Well, we've done Q&A during it, so we're going to exclude that time, so i got another half hour left. No, I, um, uh, let me just real quickly maybe outline um, patterns for this as they get old. Um, so the law gospel pattern. So uh, with the young ones, I think it's, you know, and we start with grace. We bring the law. We bring discipline. And that discipline may involve the rod for certain things. It may involve deprivation and rewards too. That, that can be helpful. That is a more adult way. Like so, so when I do these things, you know, I don't get to experience this. So that's appropriate. So whatever that might be, and measure it accordingly. So if they're disobedient and they, you've given them clear instruction, um, and make it reasonable that when they're young, actually <laughs> always, Choose your battles. God chooses his battles with us, doesn't he? He doesn't go after everything at once. Imagine if he did. Every single failure we have all the time, you know, it would be awful. He chooses his battles. He, he, he knows he's strategic. And usually it's like one thing at a time. I mean, that's generally what I notice, that there's one thing that he's after. And it may take me like a year to get it. And then I get it. And then maybe we move on to something else. So with our kids, we don't have to go after everything. I mean, we... I mean, there's things that are dangerous, right? We've we got to deal with that, right? So if they have a habit of, you know, sitting on second-story window ledges or something, right? We're going to deal with that. So we, but, but don't, in terms of, you know, going after things more aggressively, choose your battles. Um, and especially when they're younger, just understand, look, this is just a little kid doesn't know how to eat his dinner well, so I'm not going to freak out if they don't, if it's a mess, or I'm not going to get into food battles. You know, maybe that's your choice. You know, but, but somewhere you probably need to be, dealing with their will in some area, so choose it wisely. Um, I can remember actually one of the first encounters we had in discipline with our kids was when they were old enough to kind of perceive and interact. Um, they weren't allowed to touch the stereo back in the days when you had stereo cabinets and stuff. And our whole interaction with Daniel at the time was we, we told him, no, don't touch this. And that was our battle, and there was really nothing else. And guess what happened? As soon as he, went, he could, he went, he went over and he would touch the next with the stereo. You know, it, did, it only took one battle to have that authority issue. And so we walked through that with him. And then later on, it was some other thing. But, but, um, so choose your battles. 
walk through the law. Teach, you're, now, you're not, you're, while you're choosing your battles, you're still teaching them about life. You're still talking about the gospel. Um, and then when you have the discipline around those battles, you go through the same procedure and talk about uh, God's ways and then celebrate forgiveness and call them to walk in his ways and help them with that. Walk through with them like Toby was talking about and within your roles. You know, walk alongside of them. Share your own struggles with them and uh, use stories. Use all the means. You know, so Deuteronomy 6, right? It's as you walk along the road, there's this relationship, this rich relationship we're called to have with our children so that, that it, it's in some ways organic and natural that they're hearing the grace, they're hearing about the gospel, they're hearing about the law all together as we just relate to them throughout life. So creating, you know, relationships, uh, family time, spending time with them, telling stories, reading books. It's just all sorts of stuff we can do to, to share our life with them. All, the, all along, too, realize that we, in our own lives, need to be walking in these truths because we can't give what we don't have. So walking in the, the gospel and being in awe at God's grace, at your forgiveness and his grace in creation, his grace in friends and the church, just you know, all these things should be impacting our hearts. Uh, loving his law and his ways, you know, of yearning to, to grow and be more like Christ, just living that way. And we just share that with our kids. We share that with them as we go. And, and I think that our example, our sincere example, is one of the best things we can give our kids. Um, as they get older, I, uh, we have to, have to, I think, let them be more like adults and use more adult-like discipline when needed. So deprivation and reward. Um, I call it exile. So if you look in Scripture, when God... When God um, deals with adults who f- fall away, what does he do? He withdraws his blessing and his presence. They, or they, get, they get sent away from it. Ultimately, right, that's what judgment, a final judgment for those who have not run to Christ is what? To be exiled from his presence forever. There's nothing worse. Um, and that's the pattern for adults, uh, that, we, that we get exiled from the blessing of God from, from good things. Um, and that's how God disciplines us. As, as adults, right? We fall into something and there's repercussions relationally and, and, and it will impact all parts of life. And so with our kids as they grow older, we help them feel and experience some of those things. So you have to choose, you know, privileges that they get to have and bless them with, but then when they fail in significant ways, again, choose your battles, be gracious, um, but still choose your battles. But when they do that, you know, they, they lose privileges. Again, do the same thing, though, right? Law and gospel. Celebrate uh, forgiveness, and, and as they are sorry for it, you know, cry with them, pray with them, um, help them walk through what now, you know, what it looks like to begin to do better in that area. Um, so, so walk through them in the, those processes with celebrating grace, celebrating forgiveness, and then looking to walk in God's holy ways more and more. <clears throat> with a teen? With any of them. <coughs> yeah. 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 So uh, the question is, how do you choose your battle? That's a great question, Enzo. Um, and I think, let me say first how you don't choose your battle. Don't choose your battle because uh, it's your preference. Don't choose your battle because you're tired of dealing with something with the, the child and you're just going to give up. Um, so avoid the temptation, right, to, to selfishness, um, either, you know, that indulges yourself or your child. Um, 
and avoid the battle, uh, avoid you know the, the dangers of legalism on one side, which is like I'm, it's all about all the rules, and license on the other, which says, hey, we're forgiven and we're just going to chill out. We're not even going to choose any battles. You know, so those are things to avoid. I think in there, thinking through what's going to serve this young man, this young woman, or I mean, it could be a child too. What's going to help them? in their life and getting at their heart stuff. What's going on in their heart? Maybe there's a battle you know will get right at their ch most cherished idol. Um, and, you know, there's behavior uh, around that. So, um, I don't know, I'm just, say they're really selfish with their toys or something, you know, and you see that pattern over time. And so you choose that battle, like we're going to have to learn to share toys. And this is what it looks like. When you're sitting there, you can't throw a temper tantrum over someone using your toy. You've got to share. And you do that gently, right? You walk through it. But you're choosing that battle to get at that idol and for them to experience gospel and law in light of that, that particular idol. Um, I think we also choose battles that have to do with safety and, and wisdom, too. So, and as they get older, we, can add, we add more, right? So we want them to learn. Like, we insist that you sit at the table and, you know, you don't put your face in your, you know, your mashed potatoes. You use a fork. So, you know, there's things like that that we do. But as far as the, the bigger ones, I think if we can be strategic in where they are, where their heart is as we know them, where their idols might be, um, we go after that. So, does that make sense? Yeah. There's instruction. You know, I kind of want like, the discipline we bring isn't just on issues of right and wrong. There's loads of instruction that just have to do with wise living, you know. So... And as they get into the teens, you know, the, we have it's a wonderful a whole book of the Bible that's really geared towards teens and young adults. The book of Proverbs is full of wisdom. And, the, and it models for us what, a, what our instruction as, as parents looks like at that stage where we're, you know, painting pictures and calling them to the beauty of wisdom, the blessings of wisdom. We're calling them to avoid the danger and the penalty of foolishness. And, and we just live with them. We illustrate from our own lives. We tell them stories. We, you know, we, we take advantage of stories in the culture, in the media. Um, we bring them alongside to, to do things with us, to experience those sort of things. Um, we just we illustrate and encourage them. And we let them do it. And we let them start to see those things. Let them experience foolishness a little bit. That's another error I see with parents is when they transition into the teens, they, they want to use more childlike discipline measures. So they want, you know, they, when they're, they're little, you can control their world. Um, and, and it's appropriate that you do. And you can insist on certain behaviors. Um, but you can't do that once they are about 12 years old or so. You know, you just can't do that in the same way. And it only comes more and more true as time goes on where they're just they're independent and they can make choices so we have to address more heart things we have to we have to give them some uh, room you know to, to try things and to even fail and even to be foolish but still staying involved I'm not saying okay I'm just going to let you go you know and, um, but to give them more room so I see I often see parents who don't do well with that transition I think generally speaking moms have a harder time than dads um, because they want to nurture and now this is a 15 year old boy and they want to nurture and they want to keep him in a safe world and you just can't and you got to let them be a little unsafe and, and trust God I mean uh, that's the hardest issue as our kids grow up is, is really letting go and trusting God it's hard uh, it's not necessarily any easier I, Peg and I you know at least I speak for myself I thought like once we get past this little kid phase it's going to be great you know no, 
no more no more intensive parenting. We can you know they'll be okay enough that we can let them go. And boy, it's really hard because you start letting them do things, and you realize they can like when they're little, if they mess up. It's not that bad, you know. They might trip and skin a knee or something, you know. It's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, unless you're sledding down a hill and run into a tree, which is what happened with the Gainers boy. Yeah, <laughs> I did those sort of things too. But for the most part, when they're little, you know, it's pretty safe. And then you start having to let them go and do adult things, and it gets scary. Um, and then they go to college, and they're like not around you at all. And you think, man, they could be doing. Your mind can go to all the wild things that they could be doing because I know what colleges can be like. And 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 uh, yeah, you did them too. Yeah, that's the other thing. I'm gonna talk about that tomorrow. But how we import, we have these standards in our kids, right? We want them to never do the stupid things that we did. You know, um, well, they're going to do this, a lot of the stupid things that you did. And God rescued you, or trust God to rescue them. Don't, that, you know, we still instruct them, we implore them, but they're going to still do stupid things. And God will be there. So trusting God, learning to trust God and letting them go and, and coming alongside them. That's kind of how you transition. And that never stops, by the way. Uh, as they get older, it's different. But you're, still gonna be, you're always going to be a parent, um, and you're always going to be a source, hopefully, of wisdom and encouragement for your child. And so you just kind of, you know, it's different. You're, they're not under your authority in the same way. So that's really quick, <laughs> applying these things to the, the whole gamut. To learn to live under law and gospel, leading our children in that. And it's kind of the bottom line, and really understanding how those two interact. Great. Yeah, questions? Questions about uh, tomato staking. How, how how tightly do you attend to the, the duty you call your child to? Uh, so the example you had was getting ready, and yeah, I think we have to ask ourselves: Have we, you know, the, that whole metaphor of staking the tomato? Have we done enough so that they actually know how to do what we're calling them to do? Have we shown them? Have we walked uh, with them through it um, enough that they can get it? You know, that's a question. So because we might be asking, and they may not have the same level of understanding we do. So being patient with that. But then I think there's a time when you say, they kn you know they know. You've seen them perform uh, in that. 
And then that's when I'd say I'd back off and say, I need you to be ready and, you know, by 9.30. And would it help if I gave you a reminder at 9? Yeah, okay, so you give a reminder at 9 and then you leave it. If they're not ready at 9.30, you know, you do three strikes, you're out. So you wait the first two times, the third time you go, you leave them. You know, they don't go to church that day or they don't go to the friends for that day. Um, and that's just, they, that's adult consequence, right? I mean, you know, um, we have to be responsible. You're late for work, you know, depending on your job, you, you get in trouble. Um, so so just giving them adult adult consequences. But, but it might be that you give them, you know, you do enough, you instruct them, and then you give them a couple chances to fail. And, and then uh, they have that consequence. Then you come back home and you say, how, you know, you mad at me you talk through it you know do you that's the other thing with with i think it's really helpful when they're teens and young adults still like under 18 um to talk through your your discipline with them and ask them you know if you were in my shoes what would you do do you think this is appropriate because you want them ultimately be to realize that this is the right thing it isn't just dad's thing not just mom's thing this is the right thing so that they're they're maturing right they're seeing well this is god's universe mom and dad are just trying to help me learn how to live in God's universe. So that might be the what you do in that, is just talk through it. Even, you know, how do you do that ahead of time? This is what we're planning to do. You know, what do you think? Do you think that's a good plan? Do you think that's reasonable? Is that a reasonable expectation for you? Maybe in it, you realize, no, it's not, and you adjust it. But, you know, hopefully you get them to see that it is, it is reasonable. And then when it happens, they really, you know, they don't blame you. They realize, okay, I failed or I need help. question. Yeah. Other comments or questions? Yeah, yeah. Basically exile is, is deprivation and, and then non-exile is reward, so there's blessings that come. Yeah. yeah. And again, I think that's how God deals with us. Any other qu uh, questions or comments? Well, good. Uh, so we were supposed to finish by, well, but we, we started it earlier, yeah. Um, can I ask you guys some questions? Um, how do you feel in terms of parenting? Are recently, I guess, um, if you were to assess just how you're feeling about it, if very, are you discouraged right now? Are you just feeling stretched? You, do you see the Lord at work? Do you feel confused? What's, your, what's been your experience lately? Anybody want to share that? Let me back up and make it less personal. Sometimes the personal questions are hard to do first. Um, what sort of situations are most trying uh, as a parent from your vantage point? What sort of scenarios are most difficult from your, your vantage point? Kelly.
Oh, this is Susanna Wesley solution. I do hide my face. <laughs> yes, I do wear an apron at my feet. I just really start to do this. And my hands yeah. are over my ears and my yeah. thighs just kind of go away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's a place for the kids to understand that mommy's not God and, and I'm worn out. And, you know, I mean, you don't want to run out of the house and leave them to themselves for the rest of the day. But, but you know, but you don't. <laughs> oh, I better stop doing that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it, the count to ten sort of thing can be appropriate to say, guys, I'm sorry. I love you, but this is driving me nuts. And I just need to go up in the room for 15 minutes to get my composure. And then maybe you come back and help them walk through how to better consider mom. Because it's not, I mean, that, that could be done selfishly, but it can actually be done in a really unselfish way. You're helping them know how to relate to authorities because authorities are, human authorities are not perfect. You can't just be one way. You've got to consider the other person. So. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Other scenarios that have been, that may be difficult for you or just as you think about them in terms of theoretically, they seem very difficult. personally when they, they fail to do something that's straightforward yeah and I think uh, doing what you're doing talking with your husband about that and, and working through it and I think even talking with them because it might be Heidi I don't know for the situation but you know it might be something that has to get done and if it if it doesn't get done by them then you're doing more work and so they need to understand that um, that you know I you know that this means that now I'm gonna have to do it and it just doesn't feel very loving, when, you know, and so to talk through that. It might be a love language issue in some ways, too, for you that, you know, you've grown up in a way where that's like how you show love, and now when you don't do that, you're saying, I don't love you. So talking with them about that and maybe adjust, you know, you might have to change a little bit of that, too, realize, okay, that's my love language, and so I can't force my love language on someone else, but I can help them become aware and realize that it really does bless me when you do those things. And doing that without trying to make them feel guilty, but encouraging them to love you. So those are just some thoughts on that. Um, you know, if it's something that, again, if it has to be done, I think you, you do want to uh, insist on it. If it's the garbage that's not being taken out and it's piling up in the kitchen, you know, um, I, you, know you deal with it. But um, but you can, sometimes it, those things are all combined together, right? It might be something that has to be done, but it also, it's a love language issue too. So I'd say talk it out. Yeah, I know your kids are older, so you can have those conversations with them and help them be more adult. And it, you know, by the way, this is the same sort of stuff that goes on with adults and just, you know, pastoral counseling. You know, there, it's, it can be, you know, 
two 50-year-olds who are having a hard time because of the exact same issue. <laughs> and you just do the same thing. You have a conversation. You talk through. <laughs> it's hopeless. <laughs> but it's the same thing, right? It's gospel law on that too, right? We come, back, we come together and we, you know, and we confess our sins and we ask for help and we forgive each other and we try to grow more like Christ together. And yet we accept each other even where they are. 